My name is Brandon Carroll. I'm Matt McConnell. And this is Sunshine State Takes. What's going on, everybody? We're having a great day here at, uh, you know, my house this week. But, winter break, winter break. Uh, absolutely. We had to change up the location, but we're still going to bring you the, you know, best information from all around sports. But we're going to start with a segment we like to call, What's on Your Mind? Uh, my Mind, Star Wars Episode Nine tomorrow. I bought my tickets for 8.30. I'm hyped. Uh, episode 8 wasn't very good, but I'm excited to see how they wrap up the story here. So uh, 8.30 tomorrow, bought my ticket. I'm excited. Where are, you, where are you going to see it? Uh, I'm going to Regal, Regal? Phillips Highway. Nice, nice. That's the best one. Nice. Yeah, I work, so it's tough. But um, yeah, it sounds it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a big Star Wars guy, so yeah. I've been waiting. Uh, I've been watching The Mandalorian. Uh, I thought it's been pretty good, but you know, I, I'm ready for some real quality. Uh, I'm ready for a movie. Awesome, uh, it's yeah. been too long. So, uh, what's on your mind? You know, on my mind right now. Is, uh, it's still sports-related, but something we don't have to talk about, and it's recruiting, Florida recruiting. Yeah. We're number eight in the nation right now. Uh, we've had some – we fell back a few spots today. We were number six going into the National Signing Day. But, you know, that's expected. You're expected to change within, uh, you know, where you're at from National Signing Day because there's some players that haven't committed that right. commit to bigger schools. But um, I'm honestly comfortable with where we're at right now. I like the, some of the players we've gotten on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, I'm, I'm expecting more to come throughout the day, but I'm honestly happy with what's going on right now. Well, right. And you can, you can never complain with top 10. Uh, actually, related to recruitings, uh, I, I was looking at the rankings the other day. Uh, you Or not Utah. Actually, we are going to get to Utah in a second. USC was like number 80. 81. Uh, yeah. that, that's pretty sad to me, uh, just considering the prestigiousness of the program in years past. Uh, I mentioned Utah. I think what was even sadder to me, just based off what they were doing this year, is Utah was like 82. Uh, so for those Utah fans out there, uh, if we are having any listening, uh, I don't know if that Utah success is going to keep going for much longer, especially if your recruiting class ranking is only at 82. Uh, so it's, it's funny that you mentioned the recruiting ranking cause I was actually on there looking at that the other day. So. Yeah. It's actually something very interesting considering, uh, you know, Georgia state's in front of teams like yep, Utah and that. USC. It's really not good for those programs. Pac-12 schools are starting to get less and less players because, you know, it's starting to be more of an East dominant, yeah. So, East dominant. Um, talking about the ACC, SEC, Big right. Ten, even the Big Twelve's kind of taken over from the Pac-12, and that just kind of is. It kind of sucks for the Pac-12, considering how on top they were when they had you know USC at the top in 2005 or 2004 until they got beat by Texas. Not really started a spiral of, you know, not right. playing. And, then, and that's just the state of the Pac-12 at this point to me, really. Uh, uh, I mean, Marcus Mariota's Oregon really seemed like the last uh, prominent, really dominant team that yeah. the Pac-12 was able to put out. Obviously, Herbert's Oregon was good this year. Uh, Jake Browning's Washington teams a few years back were solid, but there hasn't really been that national championship contender, and it's really hurting the Pac-12. Yeah, for sure, and it's just being difficult to really get them in there. So, um, But we're going to get into our next segment. I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a tease to get into the actual what we're going to talk about today. And uh, we're going to talk about announcer duos, NFL, NCAA, and a little bit more. 
from ESPN. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the biggest part of watching sports is the announcers. Who are you listening to? Some are good. Some are bad. Some are in the middle. Uh, we're going to start with the NFL. Uh, you know, you got your big three duos in the NFL. You got the Fox crew. You got the CBS crew. You got the NBC crew. So we decided we're going to go ahead and rank those. Uh, why don't you start, Brandon? Let us know what you think. What do you got? Well, um, I think we should start with number three, each give our number three. I'm going to go with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. And honestly, it's not to degrade either one of them. Uh, I think that they are a good announcer duo. I'm not someone that's against Joe Buck in any means. I think anyone that can do two sports at the highest levels, anyone is, you know, deserves my uh, affirmation. But um, it's actually Troy Aikman. I think that Troy Aikman gets caught in the trap of rambling and it's just not good for national television. I think that he can sometimes be a little uh, difficult to follow, but at the end of the day, I still think that they're, you know, Fox best because of where they're at and the time slot wise with game of the week. And, you know, they're still a good duo. They just on this list of the NBC, CBS and Fox, they're at the bottom. Right. I I actually got a buck and Aikman at number three too. And like you said, it's nothing, it's nothing really against them. I will say I used to, hate Joe Buck. I just thought he was boring and bland. Uh, he grew on me a lot in football. In baseball, I I, I will say I don't like him in baseball. Uh, and to me, that's that that, that really uh, uh, sprouts from the 2015 World Series. Uh, Mets-Royals, being a Mets guy, I thought he really sided with the Royals in that one. Uh, you know, he was all over the Cubs in 2016. Uh, you know, I, I just feel like in baseball, he plays favorites. So in terms of baseball, I don't really like him in football. I like him a lot. He's gotten a lot more exciting. I don't really have a problem with Troy Aikman. I can agree with the rambling aspect. Uh, he definitely does fall into that trap sometimes. But uh, them being at number three on this list, it, it's not a bad thing. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we decided to rank these guys because we consider them the big three. So that means we're still considering Joe Buck and Troy Aikman a prominent duo in announcing in pro sports. Uh, it's just – out of the big three, we still think there are two that are better than them. Absolutely. You know, like I said earlier, the big three, they're still the best of the best. They're still the best from their respective networks. And just because they're number three doesn't mean they're terrible. Right. So, all right. Uh, do you want to get us to number two? Uh, yeah. My number two is uh, Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Okay. Um, I like Jim Nance a lot. I think Jim Nance is your typical uh, sports guy, he knows a lot. He's gonna he's gonna say everything right. He's gonna say everything you need to know to understand what's going on. Uh, I like Tony Romo a lot too, but Tony is also uh, what what puts them at number two over number one for me. Sometimes, honestly, I don't really think Tony Romo's paying attention. Um, you know, a couple times in the Titans game on Sunday, uh, uh, when that one interception Tannehill threw on the goal line. That was knocked out of the tight end's hands. Tony Romo was asking, had the ball hit the ground? Uh, the ball clearly didn't hit the ground. I, I don't really know what he was looking at there. I, I think I think sometimes he just gets a little lost in the fact that he's in the booth, and sometimes he doesn't really pay attention. But I really do like that Tony Romo has fun with it. I've never really seen an announcer have fun uh, with football the way Tony does. Uh, but, you know, that's just it's just a little small thing. Sometimes I feel like Tony's head isn't fully in it but that's not necessarily a bad thing it makes for some great content and some great uh moments in the announcing game absolutely uh i'm gonna have to go with al michaels and chris collinsworth i believe that um honestly now here's a guy that knows how to get it done here's here's some guys that know how to have dialogue together they're the most experienced without in the group they are honestly what makes sunday night football what sunday night football they've been you know consistent for many many years they just 
I feel like they bring an authentic, you know, authentic experience for sports fans within the booth because they are able to not just commentate on the game, but also have dialogue and cut up with each other and, you know, be able to have that chemistry that not many other people have within the sports announcer game. And, uh, you know, Collinsworth is, (laughs) he's a character, that's for sure. Uh, Michaels knows how to balance that out. And I just think they work really well together, which puts them number two for me. Right. Uh, And they're my number one. And uh, like you said, they just really authenticate Sunday night football. And Sunday night football is uh, my favorite game of the week, week in and week out. And uh, I'm going to list a couple things I really like about them. Week one, when the Packers face off the Bears open the season, they kind of dressed up uh, with that little 20s theme, you know, to celebrate uh, the the 100th season kickoff. Another thing I really liked is um, the chemistry they have. uh, It was in the Patriots-Texans game a few weeks back. Deshaun Watson had an escape sack. Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't really a crazy play in terms of what happened after he escaped it. He just threw the ball away for an incomplete pass. But Chris Collinsworth really started talking about how big of a play that was because it keeps drives alive. And then later in that game, Texans up 14-3. Chris goes, Al, you know what the play of the game was so far? And Al snap like that goes, the escape sack. And Chris was like, that's right, the escape sack. And Al goes, I can read your mind, Chris. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 the, the chemistry just blows me away from those two. And like you said, Chris Collinsworth, is a character. Um, I, I think my favorite thing about Chris Collinsworth is how he slides in. Yep, from, is it the absolutely. left or the right? That's the slide. It, it's, it's just iconic. You know, he's a funny guy. He knows so much about the game. Uh, you know, Al's just a classy, older football knowledge guy. Um, you know, they just both possess what I think a good announcer duo needs to have. And yeah. they balance each other out really well. So that's why I put Al and Chris at number one. Yeah. So my number one is going to be the CBS duo. It's going to be Tony Romo and Jim Nance. And, uh, you know, it was hard for me to choose between Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth and Tony Romo and Jim Nance. But what separated me was honestly Tony Romo's just mind for the game. Uh, I think he brings insights into play calls and, uh, you know, at the purest form. He is the closest thing that sports fans get to experience of a mind of a true NFL player and a smart one at that. Someone that knows how the game works, how the, the intricacies. And he really articulates that on screen very, very well. And, um, you know, like you said, Nance is someone, he's that older, he just knows everything about football. He's able to, you know, tell you how it is 100% of the time. And it doesn't really get boring. His voice is really knows how to, you know, he's, his voice is what makes him a great play-by-play guy. You know, sometimes in sports, you can get those guys that know what they're talking about, but their voice doesn't match what they're saying. Jim Nance is someone that definitely matches what he's saying every single time. And it's, it's spectacular in my opinion. But it's really just Tony Romo is being that – you know, you know what? Three, four-year removed quarterback from the NFL. He's a starter. He knows still all like the play calls. Because you know, if you think about it, when he was starting, the NFL isn't that far removed from it. Obviously, they've gotten a few more guys like Patrick Mahomes out there slinging the football. Uh, you know, yeah. some newer era guys. But at the same time, it's not something that's going to be completely different from his. Uh, his when he was playing so he knows how the game works right because overall a lot of the guys that uh were in the league when he was there are still there exactly. uh, you know you still got brady and rogers and breeze you know breeze stafford yeah. uh even cousins was around for a little bit mm-hmm. uh, you know just some of those guys so he, he knows a lot he knows all those guys uh so yeah no i definitely agree i, I really i really do admire uh tony romo's knowledge but at the end of the day it's just the old school uh aspect of alan chris yeah that put them at number one yeah. for me yeah. And one other thing, Jim Nance, 
for me is someone that I feel like if you put anyone in the booth with him, he can commentate with them. It doesn't matter who it is. If you were to put freaking Jason Witten back in the booth with <laughs> with Jim Nance, he would be he able to. He would make him look a little bit better. Uh, although than he was uh, last year. Nance did start getting a little fed up with Phil Sims, I think down the <laughs> line. I, I don't know if you ever saw this clip, but it was like a Steelers Dolphins playoff game in like 2016. Yeah, Nance or not Nance, Phil Sims like farted in the booth, and Jim Nance just like <laughs> on camera just like gets up and walks away. And then the next year, Tony Romo's in the booth. Uh, I always found that to be kind of funny. Yeah, so you just thought that Nance was the re- or yeah, Nance is the reason Sims gone. Yeah, no, maybe I don't know, but uh, I'm not complaining with Romo in there. Oh yeah, but all right, so um, we're gonna get into our next segment, which is the uh, you know favorite college duo. Right. Um, it's it's still ranking uh, announcers, but we're gonna get into our favorite college duo. And for me, I'm gonna have to go with Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt. Um, I think Just Johnson brings a pure excitement to the game. He brings that, uh, you know, intensity and passion, and I just think that's something that not a lot of sports fans get very often, especially from the announcer booth, because it can be hard to not sound, uh, you know, to sound authentic and to not sound fake when you're getting excited in the announcer booth. But I think that Gus Johnson does a really good job of balancing his excitement for the game and also being able to call play by play the way he does. Right. Uh, I got Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt at number one to. Uh, Growing up, I played a lot of the older Madden games, like Madden 10, Madden 11, Madden 12. I think Madden 12 was the last one he was in. And, uh, you know, whoever you're playing as, you throw a deep touchdown and you just hear Gus Johnson's voice in the background going crazy. And it's like, I like this guy a lot. I actually think Madden 12, it was Gus Johnson and Chris Collinsworth. Yeah. Uh, that was awesome. So, yeah, no, I – I really just have this as my favorite duo just because of Gus Johnson. Yeah, same. I I love the energy. Um, I think it was the 2015 Big Ten Championship, Iowa-Michigan State. Mm -hmm. C.J. Beathard threw this 85-yard touchdown, and Gus Johnson was just going crazy in the booth. (laughs) uh, There's so many iconic calls he's had where he was just going insane. I actually think – I don't – this might be another thing you you might not know. Uh, When he got fired from CBS – I'm pretty sure it's because Chris Johnson broke off for some long touchdown run, and Gus Johnson said, "Look out! He's got getting away from the cops." <laughs> yeah, uh, he, you know, he just didn't. You know, he had fun with it. Uh, unfortunately, he got him fired from CBS, but he found his home with Fox <laughs> Big Ten. And I actually—that's another reason I put them here uh, because I really like Big Ten football. It's my favorite conference in the college uh, football to watch. So you know, every time I'm watching the biggest Big Ten game of the week, uh, I'm going to have Gus Johnson there calling it. For yeah, me. so I, for I really sure. admire that. Yes. So as someone that is a Gator fan, I obviously enjoy CB- uh, SEC on CBS, yeah. but I definitely would take this announcer duo over, right. uh, you know, the other one from CBS, Fox, or C- the other Fox announcers, ESPN, uh, even Kirk and, uh, yeah, yeah, what's his name? Reese Davis. Reese Davis. Yeah. I always forget his name. Yeah. Reese no. Davis. It, it's something that uh, it's difficult, but um, Fox definitely has something special going with Big Noon. They have so they. Yeah have that duo together and it genuinely makes people enjoy watching big 12 and big 10 football. Uh, yeah. And especially, you know, uh, guys like Justin Fields playing, yeah. uh, it's going to create for some energetic oh, announcing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm really fond of Gus Johnson. I've always been, uh, partially because of the Madden games, partially because of his energy. You know, I, I like him a lot. He's, he's probably honestly, uh, not too far behind Alan Chris for me because Alan Chris will always be my favorites. Yeah. Uh, Gary Cohen for SNY, who's the Mets announcer is, also going to be one of my all-time favorites in yeah. terms of energy, but uh, 
you know, Gus, Al, and Chris, those guys, you know, they're all just, they're, oh, yeah. they're amazing. Oh, yeah. uh, I so, really admire them. Yeah, someone that I uh, actually grew up listening to was Mick Hubert for the Gators. He uh, is someone that I really admire, and he really brought that passion for Gator football, which really, honestly, played into how much I like the Gators. Yeah. And um, like I was saying, if I had to choose between Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt or Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson and, you know, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, that'd probably be one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. Yeah. It's a, it, they're definitely, they're all three. They know how to announce really, really well. And no, I think that they're, no, it's a they're good at like, their jobs. Gus Johnson doesn't get to announce a Super Bowl or anything. Cause that, yeah. that will be fun. I mean, I don't know about last year's Super Bowl, but uh, you got the Pats and Eagles going in it and that shootout two years ago. Imagine Gus Johnson calling the <laughs> Philly special. <laughs> I mean, it's just missed opportunities. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, we're going to get into our three least favorite. We're combining college and NFL for these. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go ahead and start with this one. All right. So number three, I have Andrew Catalan, James Lofton. I have really no uh, good reason of why I don't like them, but I just don't think they're good at their jobs. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just, I just, I think James Lofton can be boring at times. He can just be very against he he definitely picks sides in my opinion he shows favoritism towards one team and other teams he kind of bashes which there's a lot of announcers like that but not as much as uh james lofton in my opinion andrew catalan's just uh you know he's just there and he's guilty by association yeah uh my number three is sparrow didis and adam archuleta um i don't necessarily think they're terrible announcers uh but it always seems like they get like you know, kind of the bottom feeder game of the week. Yeah. And that makes me mad, uh, especially with the 2017 Jaguars, who were a legitimately good team. We were always having these guys announced for them, and there was never really any energy or hype surrounding the Jaguars. Because every time you watch the game, no one really exciting uh, was announcing them. That, that That's why it was really important that the Jags did get into the playoffs that year, uh, because once they got in, they had three straight weeks of Romo and Nance calling their games. Yeah. Uh, so they finally got that exposure and excitement around them. But yeah, no, it really it's it's really just that 2017 season that uh, makes me dislike these guys because every every game the Jaguars played, we had to listen to them. And yeah, it kind of kind of just got tiring. Rough. Yeah, um, yeah, they were terrible. I, it was hard being a Jags fan at that time. Obviously, we were winning, but they could not call games to save their lives. So it just wasn't bringing excitement to the table, and it was. You know, something that was definitely glad to be done last year until they decided they stopped wanting to play football and go back to being Mm -hmm. the old Jags. But um, at number two, I have Burger McFarlane and Joe Tessitore. I believe that Joe Tessitore is actually good at what he does. His voice is perfect for Monday Night Football. He brings, you know, just a – he brings that – he's another one that brings that uh, emotion that not a lot of people bring within this announcer booth. But too bad he works with the worst sports announcer of all time in Burger McFarland. The dude cannot commentate. Imagine replacing Jason Witten and being worse at his job. That's what Burger McFarland did in the booth. No, I 100% agree. It it was terrible. My number two is uh, Beth Mowens, and I I guess she goes with Tiki Barber. Uh, This is mainly just more towards Beth Mowens. I don't don't think she's good. Uh, You know, I, I listen to a lot of her games on college football or ESPN or whatever. And it's usually just like a bottom feeder matchup and it doesn't, help. it doesn't help that she's <laughs> calling it. Like, uh, I don't want to listen to this. I think you're boring. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, that's what it is for me. I, I just straight up think she's boring and any game I watch it, you know, there's not really any excitement. I, I like it. I'm, I'm not ag- against her being in the booth by, by any means whatsoever. 
uh, you know, just from the excitement aspect, there's nothing there yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, no, I 100% agree. She's actually my number one, and I don't care who she goes with. She can go with anyone. Literally, Superman could get in there, and I guarantee you I would not like her. Right. Um, it's nothing against, you know, her – being a girl, because I love Doris Burke whenever she yeah. does basketball. I think that she's probably one of the best she announcers they have in NBA right now. I just think that Beth Mallins, like you said, is really boring. She's just all around just not a good announcer. And when honestly, I've gotten to the point where ever I watch a game with her, I mute it because I can't stand her talking yeah. too much. And it it's sad, but at the same time, it's true. Yeah, uh, and then my number one is Tessa Tora McFarland. And once again, this is just a shot of McFarland. I, I think he's terrible. It seems like every week he calls a new player the best player at his position. I just – I don't know. I, I feel like he spends more time trying to make that big statement than actually just announcing the game. Tessator is good, and I feel bad for Tessator. I do too. He announces with a total idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's – there. I mean, I, it, it's a shame because Monday night was such a historic night in terms of breeze-breaking records. But exactly. I, I didn't even watch it. Uh, yeah. Partially because I, I wasn't really in town, but also – uh, you know, Drew Brees deserves a bit better than uh, McFarland uh, announcing some of his big records. Yeah, that's uh, for sure. That, so that, that's my thing. I just don't like Booker McFarland. I think he, he's awful and he's hurt. He's hurt uh, the prestigiousness of Monday Night Football yeah. a little bit. They've definitely lost some credibility with him being in the boots. I, you know, I, I think uh, Monday Night Football really thrived when um, – Mike Tirico, Mike Tirico and John, and John Gruden yeah. were in the booth. Uh, those guys were really good. Even Sean McDonough in there yeah. uh, was good. Uh, right now, uh, once again, Tesla story isn't bad, but they're really struggling right now to find uh, a, a good guy. color yeah. commentator to That's accompany sure. him. So until they find him, Monday Night Football is yeah. going to continue to just kind of be like, meh. I mean, it's a yeah. good matchup, but you know, I, I could – I could go without watching. Yeah, I tried to give uh, Booger a shot last year when he was on the Scoot Booger Mobile <laughs> until he called, said that um, Kelvin Benjamin was a Popeye's biscuit away from being a tight end. And I said, that's enough. I'm done yeah. tired of this dude. <laughs> and then they gave him the job in the booth. I was right. like, what is going on? Right. Okay. But yeah, that was rough. So that's where we stand on our announcers. Uh, kind of give you a good idea of uh, what we like to hear when we watch our football games. Uh, I think we're going to start getting into – the NFL. Some of the week yeah. 15 action. Absolutely. Uh, and so we're going to get into that coming up next. All right. So getting into the NFL, we're going to start with the Texans versus the Titans. It was a matchup in the AFC South, and it honestly decided for the first, in, uh, you know, the three seed, honestly, three or four seed in the AFC playoff picture. But uh, Texans came away victorious. Yeah, it was really a game of uh, – it was really a game of big breaks. Uh, some – some end zone interceptions, uh, kind of a, a sloppy game, honestly, to an extent. Uh, the guy I was watching in this one uh, surprisingly wasn't MVP candidate Deshaun Watson. I was watching MVP candidate Ryan Tannehill. Um, and I, I don't really think he looked bad at any point in this game, and it just really sucks because that goal line interception that Anthony Frisker couldn't hold on to kind of uh, really swung the direction that this game was going to take. It set up the Texans with a short field. They were able to build a double-digit lead, and kind of from there, the Titans were just playing catch-up. Absolutely. I thought Tannehill did a good job of playing catch-up. He definitely kept the Titans in this game. Um, he had a big rushing touchdown on a fourth and goal, and overall, I just thought he had a good day, and that's really been the story since he became the starter was good day after good day. Yeah. He, uh, you know, he went 22 for 36, 279 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, 
they weren't flashy stat lines by any means, but they're not something that's going to lose your team the game. Obviously, the interception on the goal line was not something that's going to help them. But at the same time, it's I, I didn't think that was 100% his fault. Um, obviously, you can't throw that ball in there, but I just I didn't think it was kind of a, you know, bang, bang play. And it, it happens in the NFL, especially with the talent of the Texans that, you know, any NFL defense has. Um but I honestly thought that this was just the definition of a divisional matchup. Right. It was kind of, you know, the Texans jumped out to that bit, that uh, lead, but the Titans was always coming back. They were always trying to, you know, stab back at that lead, and they finally were getting there until, you know, ultimately they just fell short. Yeah, I mean, it came down to an onside kick in the end. Tannehill found Deion Lewis late, uh, the former yeah. Patriot. Uh, they, you know, they just couldn't get it. Uh, you know, that it was a game I was pulling for the Titans to win. Uh, you know, the, the, it seems like the Texans, as of late, have been that team to kind of uh, run the AFC South, mm-hmm. uh, especially the past few years. They've even been winning the division with Brian Hoyer at QB. Uh, you know, you have your outlier. Uh, you know, the Jags won the division in 2017, but mm-hmm. it in it seems like the Titans have haven't won that division in a while. So I'm I'm pulling for them to win it, but you know this this loss might have killed their chances, and it's a shame because. Um, you think of some of the teams the Titans have beaten at home this year, uh, like the Chiefs. They got the Saints next week. I think the Titans really could have made some noise had they been hosting a playoff game on wild card round weekend. So I'm a little disappointed in Tennessee for not pulling through. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Houston is who they are. Uh, I was really impressed with DeAndre Hopkins. I thought he really took over in the fourth quarter, and that played a huge role in them getting that win also. Kenny Stills with two touchdowns. That, that receiving core in Houston is – uh, you know, it's very good, and yeah. it's going to help them win games in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I wanted to say about Tannehill is that since taking over for as a starting QB of the Titans, uh, he's posted 2,272 yards, 17 touchdowns, six interceptions, and a 57.6 QBR in nine games. Right. Those are nine games started. Yeah. I just believe that in throwing 253 yards per game – those that's a pretty good stat line. Uh, the fifty winning numbers exactly. The, he they're six and two in the time that he's uh, since he's came in or six. Well, he came in halfway through the Denver game, right? And that was in week six. That was in week six, and so th- these numbers are for the ones that he has played in. So week seven to now, right? Week seven to now, they are six and two. Yeah, no, it's it, it's impressive to me. Another thing, I wrote this down. I actually saw this last week. So a game has taken place, but at least before the Week 15 game last week, in the game Stanahill started, he's posted a better quarterback rating than Drew Brees, more pass yards than Aaron Rodgers, more pass touchdowns than Tom Brady, fewer interceptions than Russell Wilson, and a better completion percentage than Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, those are always guys, uh, you know, uh, minus Tom Brady this year, uh, those are all guys that are really year in and year out uh, are going to be in the MVP conversation, and yeah. Tannehill is matching them. Absolutely. He's matching all of them, and it, it, it's impressive to me. And I, I said it to a few of my friends coming into the year that the Titans' best quarterback was on the bench. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I it kind of just got to the point where uh, the Mariota plan was kind of stalling. Yeah, and it wasn't really sure. going anywhere. The offense was stagnant. It, with it, him it was hurting their chances to make any kind of noise. So it's like, why not give Tannehill that shot? Uh, and I think it's the best decision Tennessee could have made because he's played very well. Uh, and the other thing is people don't really talk about, uh, you know, Tannehill was never really bad in Miami. Uh, the year the Dolphins made the playoffs in 2016, that was largely contributed to the way he played down the stretch in the 10-game win streak. Yeah. 
Uh, he ended up getting hurt, though. Despite Matt Moore having to play in the playoff game, he right. still was the one that got them there. Right. Uh, so we've never actually seen Tannehill in the playoffs yet, and this could be the year. Uh, you know, he was stripped of that opportunity in 2016 once again because he was hurt. But, yeah. uh, you know, he's putting up these numbers. He's going to have a shot to lead his team to some wins in some playoff <laughs> games. Yeah. So I, 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 I for one, want to see it, and especially with the uh, – MVP level that he's playing at. Do I think he's going to win MVP? No, it's Lamar Jackson's by a mile. Hundred uh, percent. But you know he's playing well, and he is deserving to at least play one game in January. Yeah, definitely. I think they have the opportunity to be able to sneak in as that six seed in the AFC because uh, the winner of the Bills Patriots game is going to get the seed this week, and then the Bills or Patriots are going to drop to that five seed. So the six seed is really the only seed that's open right now. Yeah, and uh, you know, especially after watching the Steelers Sunday night, I, I don't really think anyone's scared of them anymore. No. Uh, I, I think that's the game we got to get into next. Absolutely. Because in our first two episodes of this show, uh, we were talking Bill Steelers and how excited we were yeah. uh, to see Josh Allen. Uh, what, what did you think of Josh Allen? What were your thoughts on that game? If I'm being honest, he didn't really impress me. He was 13 for 25, 139 yards, a touchdown, an interception, a rush touchdown, which, you know, he helped his team win. He was, he accounted for both of the touch scores, uh, both of the touchdowns that they scored in the game. But at the same time, 139 yards in a, in a game that decided whether you go to the playoffs or not, like that's just not something that you want to see from your quarterback. You want to see a little bit of him being like, all right, this is our time. We're going to take it. Um, but at the same time, if you look at the Steelers' defense, they're pretty stout. They have Bud they're Dupree really and uh, T.J. Watt coming off the side. Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick back in the back end. They're, they're, a so, they're a solid team, and that's that's without even talking about Joe Hayden on the outside. Uh, I think that they're a really good team. And, and really uh, similar to the Bills, the Steelers' defense has kind of been what uh, drove them this year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Sunday night was a battle of two stout defenses, and the score really reflected that, and so did the yeah, stats. For sure, 17-10. Uh, 17-10. Hodges had four picks. Yeah. Uh, you know, once again, Allen didn't look great. I thought Allen played really well down the stretch of the game yeah. in the fourth quarter, uh, made some big throws to John Brown and Tyler Croft. Yeah, he played well when it counted, which right. is what matters, but yeah. and, throughout the game. Right, uh, so I think at this point, uh, the Steelers' quarterback position is a major question mark. Uh, I, I I don't think they have an identity. I thought Hodges played very well coming into the game, but mm-hmm. uh, you know there was just nothing there yeah. really for Steelers fans to be impressed with. Uh, one of the things I think attributed to that is he threw the ball 38 times. Yeah, only completed uh, 23. Your third-string quarterback doesn't need to be throwing the ball 38 times. James Conner only had 12 touches on Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, I think – I think the key to success for the Steelers is to uh, let make Hodges throw when he needs to, uh, let Connor touch the ball more, mm-hmm. and let that defense really carry your team because that, that's what it's been. Uh, you look at a lot of Hodges' stat lines this year; it's been like 150 yards and a touchdown. You yeah, uh, kind of just calling on him when you need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe finding James Washington short or something on like yeah. a third and six. Uh, yeah. But he doesn't need to be throwing the ball 38 times a game. I 100% agree. And it's not like the Steelers are short on the running back position. They've had uh, issues all year with injuries and stuff. So they've had guys get some experience. Uh, Trey Edmonds, you got Jalen Samuels, James Washington. Or you can even take James Washington off the sweep and give it to him. You can give it to Deontay Johnson uh, on the outside. Uh, you know, it's just guys that are able to be able to make big plays, but they're not being able to make them because 
you're trying to throw the ball 75, well, trying to throw the ball 38 times a game with a third string quarterback. And uh, obviously James Conner needs to be the focal point. I feel like they're trying to ease him back in so that he doesn't get injured in case of a playoff run. But if you're going to ease him back in, now's the time you need to have him back in because it's make or break for the Steelers season right now. Right. And once again, it's still going to come down uh, to that defense more than that offense. But I, you know, with two weeks left in the season, just got to find that formula on offense that exactly. works. Uh, the guy I was most impressed with on Sunday night was probably Tredavious White. He played – he balled he, out. He is going to be a superstar in this league one day if Absolutely. he's not already. I think he's definitely very close. Uh, you know, he had arguably the play of the game. That pick on Hodges, it was either late in the fourth or uh, late in the third. Uh, he picked off Hodges and took it back all the way into Buffalo yeah. territory. I, yeah. I think that's when Buffalo ended up tying the game. Uh, but, you know, yeah. that was kind of the swing because Pittsburgh was marching there. They were. Uh, they were. And, you know, Tredavious White really stepped up big for his team. I was also really impressed with Tremaine Edmonds uh, with six tackles. Mm-hmm. You know, he was kind of bouncing all over the place making plays. Yeah. Uh, you know, that uh, it just shows overall how scary that Bills defense is in terms Absolutely. of the playmakers they have on it. Yeah, that's something that's actually really interesting to me is that uh, you mentioned Tremaine Edmonds. He also had his brother Terrell Edmonds yeah. on the other defense side and then Trey Edmonds as the running back. Yeah. It was the first time in NFL history that there's been three brothers playing the same game. Uh, I'm not sure how many times Trey got in the game, but I know Terrell and uh, Tremaine right. were definitely big within uh, the both game plans on defense. Yeah, it's always fun when you have brothers uh, go up against each other. Exactly. It's like the Watt brothers whenever Houston yeah. and uh, – uh, it's cra- it's crazy how good of athletes the Watt brothers are. You got the Watt uh, brothers, the Bosa brothers. The Bosa, I honestly, as of right now, I, I would probably take the Bosa brothers. Over the I think brothers. I think I would too, and I and uh, I, I think the reason for that is just at this point JJ Watt's ability to stay on his health. Field. Yeah. Uh, you know, overall in terms of dominance, probably the Watt brothers because mm-hmm. uh, you know just the freak of the athlete JJ Watt is. Yeah. I think it was Chris Collinsworth who said it on Sunday. Like, just imagine. Uh, how they were as kids wrestling and whatever it was. That's uh, TJ and JJ Watt. Yeah. Probably pretty crazy uh, yeah. compared to where they are now. Uh, yeah. I think it's time to go ahead and dive in to the last game in Oakland. Yes, sir. Uh, Jags or Raiders. Storylines. What a game. Storylines. That is for sure. Uh, Minshew Magic. Absolutely. 17 for 29, 201 yards, two touchdowns, 102.8 passer rating. Yep. You look at those stat lines, you're like, okay, they, they did all right. But then you look at the game, you see the eye test, and he's like, this guy led a comeback. They were down 16-3. to yeah. three. He went out there, he lit up the field, and he was able to get to 5-5 five and five in his rookie year as right. a Jags starter. Uh, and, you know, once again, it, it didn't look great offensively, at least until the end. Uh, and once again, that's what matters. Exactly. Uh, your ability to make plays down the stretch, because the game's never over until the clock hits zero. And I think uh, Minshew really showed that yeah. uh, on Sunday. You know, I, I don't really know what his uh, stat line was exactly up until he started taking off, but I know at one point he was like three of eleven for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was struggling. He was struggling. I mean, just the Jags as a whole were struggling. Another lackluster day from Fournette. Uh, you know, right now just the running back and offensive line I think is dragging the Jags down a lot. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that they're still able to win games mm-hmm. with the magic of Minshew I think says a lot about the potential the Jags have. Yeah. Uh, they're just a few 
offensive linemen and maybe a few more playmakers on the wide receiver position away yeah. from being a contender. And obviously the defense is a separate question, but we can get into that in a second. Yeah. So one thing that uh, you mentioned is that the running backs kind of holding the Jaguars down. I think it's less of Fournette. I think Fournette's a special talent. He really, uh, the Jaguars have done a really good job of getting him involved as a three down back, being able to, you know, get him out of the pass game and use him that way. Uh, but I just don't think that our, the offensive line for the Jaguars right. is something that's built even though that's what they tried to build it as to run the football. Um, Tom Coughlin tried to, when he came in, he's like, all right, we're going to run the football. We're going to play defense. Even though that's not the new style of football, he was still trying to make it that type of scheme. And it's kind of funny that now we're looking at it and we're like, okay, the Jaguars are not that team. They cannot run the football 25 times, even though when they do run the football 25 times, it increases their chances of being able to win football games because Fournette gets in a rhythm. But going down 16 to three, obviously that's not going to be able to happen because you can't, time is on your side at that point. Uh, Yeah, no, obviously uh, it's just not what the NFL is these days. Um, You know, outside of the Ravens, not many teams are having crazy success running the football. The Niners are running the football really well, Uh, you know, but uh, a lot of teams are just throwing it. Uh, yeah. You know, even the Patriots with 42-year-old Tom Brady are averaging like 37 pass attempts a game or something. Mm-hmm. It's just the state, yeah. of, state of the NFL. Um, I, I was I was actually very impressed with the Jags receivers in this game. Yeah, uh, Keelan Cole had a, a pretty good day for the first time in a while. And Keelan Cole's a guy I like because of his ability to go up and get the football. And that's what I wish they used him for a bit more. I thought uh, when the Jags played the Patriots last year, they really thrived off of Keelan Cole going up yeah. and getting the ball. Uh, you know, the spectacular catch on yeah, the sideline. Yeah, the line. Patriots just had no way to defend it, and I really don't think many teams are going to have a way to defend it if you're really utilizing Keelan Cole to his max ability. Uh, Chris Conley's another one of those guys, and he had a good day too. He had the two touchdowns. You know, he he was made four catches, 49 yards, two touchdowns. That's a good day, especially considering the Jags really turned it on late, and that's where most of their offensive production came from. Exactly. Uh, when it mattered, he came through. So, you know, I think everything just clicked and it it doesn't really make sense to me how it clicked considering how bad they looked early on, Mm -hmm. but I have no complaints. Uh, This is definitely a promising game for Jags fans considering the way the offense was able uh, to come through late because the Jags have been down big a lot this year and, you know, they kind of just looked lifeless and they kind of, you know, haven't been able to make any noise and all of a sudden that just changes. Uh, So what what do you think went into that and how, how do you feel about the Jags going forward knowing that? Uh, they have a quarterback that has that ability to pull out some of those miracles. You know, I think that it makes Jaguars fans a little bit more comfortable um, being able to say like, okay, maybe we have someone we can build around. Cause that's not something, something that the Jaguars can say for a while now. Uh, they've been kind of in and out on uh, like which quarterback is the one that's going to take us to the promised land. And with Minshew coming in, not many people thought he was going to be the guy, especially at the beginning of the year. But now I believe that the Jaguars have that guy that they, he, they can rely on that they can, uh, be able to sling the ball around the field and manage the game well to be able to uh, get wins. And that's what matters. And one thing that I was really impressed by is his ability to just not quit his ability to continue chucking as long as it, as long as the clock is not at zero in the fourth quarter, it's something that, you know, not many Jaguars players or in my opinion have, they don't really have that will to go out there and get wins. But I feel like this team right now are really rallying around Minshew and being able to, compete at the best of their ability. And, uh, you know, honestly, the offense was 
definitely what helped us or helped the Jaguars a lot be able to get right. uh, the win. But the defense, if you want to look at the defense, after going down 16 to three, everyone was like, all right, here we go again. It's going to be another one of those days. Jaguars went down, kicked the field goal, make it 16 to six. And then the Jaguars defense kind of turned it on. They're like, all right, we got to get it done. My players of the game are two players that need to stay together for as long as they're in the NFL. Yannick Ngakwe and Josh Allen. Yep. They combined for three sacks. Ngakwe had two of them, and Allen had one. Uh, they both played well in the run game. They've both been able to play run fits pretty well from the outside position. Uh, I feel like Ngakwe got snubbed of a, a, a Pro, Bowl. Pro Bowl this yeah. year. Uh, obviously, congratulations to Calais Campbell. Yeah. That's my guy. Uh, Calais Campbell has been that heart and soul of the Jaguars since uh, they've been to the playoffs. But – being able to hold Josh Jacobs to 89 yards on 24 carries is not something that slight, especially with the inconsistency in the run game the Jaguars right. have faced the past few weeks. Uh, you know, he was coming off an injury the week before. Maybe that played into it, but still, that's still uh, a, a moral victory on top of the real victory that the Jaguars were able to accomplish. So, you know, like you said, Keelan Cole, 76 yards, played really well uh, with DJ Chark out. Uh, that honestly gives – Jaguars fans a little bit of a uh, hope that, you know, maybe he's the next emerging guy. We thought it was going to be DJ Chark and D.D. Westbrook. I kind of predicted Conley would be the guy, and he did have two touchdowns last week um, before the beginning of the season. But maybe Keelan Cole steps up as that second option, and uh, Conley can kind of take a step back and be that third guy that, you know, is able to uh, catch balls when he needs to. So, Well, as a Jag fan, you definitely got to be happy with the depth at that position. For sure, because uh, they got guys right now and all guys that have uh, proven they can make plays. Uh, two guys I wrote down for the Jags defense were Donald Payne and Austin Calitro. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's how you say his name. Calitro. Uh, uh, they combined for 19 tackles. Yeah. Uh, Calitro had a sack, too. Yeah. I was just impressed by those numbers. Yeah. Uh, you know, two smaller name guys putting up those numbers. Uh, you know, that's a good sign, too, knowing that uh, in terms of death aspect, you got some guys there that. Uh, can come in and bounce around the field. For sure. Uh, Donald Payne has really taken advantage of Miles Jack being out. He's really came in and he's, uh, you know, kind of anchored down the middle. And if you look at the stat line the past two weeks, uh, obviously the Chargers was not that great overall. But the run defense has been just a slight bit better. And you're thinking about it, you're like, okay, maybe we can put Donald Payne inside, move Jack outside. Because if you really look at it, Miles Jack is not a middle linebacker. He no, needs to be on the outside. On the he's outside. an athletic guy. He's not going to be able to fill run fits. He's not pause. Uh, Paul Pazlesny, for all of those that don't know who I'm talking about. But I do believe that Donald Payne has played really well. Really well. Austin Kalitra, on the other hand, he has the stat line. Right. I don't believe that he's that great. And that's just in my opinion. Uh, he's, he's that guy that puts up those numbers, but at the same time, you're like, Okay, well, he's making tackles 15, 20 yards downfield. Yeah. He's he, he's chasing Tyrell Williams into the end zone and tackling him five feet in the end zone. Like, it, it's, you know, obviously that can count as a tackle. I'm just saying, like, it's just like, okay, why'd you do that? was unnecessary. But obviously he played well. He was able to give, give the Jaguars a better chance to win because of those tackles because they didn't allow for anything, uh, you know, further than that. But I definitely feel like his uh, lateral quickness needs work. He is someone that's not very fast. And as Jaguars fans, we're used to seeing guys like Telvin Smith and Miles Jack flying around the field from that weak side position. Um, But, you know, he's getting the job done, and that's what matters. Exactly. Uh, I want to go back to Gardner Minshew for a second. Uh, There was just some things. I'm going to start with this. Uh, He started trademarking some terms. What was it? Minshew Magic. Minshew Magic. Minshew Mustache. Mustache. 
and Shumania. Yeah. Uh, I was watching Party in the Interruption the other day, and uh, Michael Wilbon and uh, his partner, uh, they were talking about how he needs to kind of slow his roll a little bit because he might not be in the league next year. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Minshew's going to be the starting quarterback for the Jags in 2020. Uh, he trademarked Minshew Magic for a reason, and Sunday is why. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think people that hate on Gardner Minshew or think, you know, he's getting a little too ahead of himself haven't watched Gardner Minshew. Yeah. And they haven't really seen uh, what he's really about. And then he had a quote after the game. Uh, I can't think of word for word what it was, but, you know, he's talking about how, like, he it was a cool experience to play in Oakland and how Oakland fans are really passionate. And then he said it was fun to ruin that for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, the guy clearly uh, doesn't. You know, he just has he just has that. Uh, he doesn't care about the noise. Right. He doesn't you know? care about all the outside. He he did say that uh, it's the most middle or it was it Conley. One yeah. of them said it was the it most was middle Minshew. fingers. Oh, yeah, it was the most middle okay. fingers he's ever seen. Yeah, Conley said that there was some recreational fun going on in that stadium that day. Yeah. Uh, no, for, for sure. I mean that that's Oakland. Uh, yeah. you, you know, uh, the black hole. There was a segment on the NFL today before the one o'clock game started, just about. Uh, how the black hole was founded and stuff. And, you know, those guys are crazy. And, you know, the way they dress, you kind of got to expect that. But, uh, no, I, I'm, uh, you know, definitely for Minchu to go ahead and say that was fun to ruin it for him. Uh, you know, that I, I admire that cool aspect of Minchu and how, uh, you know, no moment's too big for him. Yeah. And I, I think if the Jags can put the pieces around him, uh, that mindset is, uh, could be able to pay off That's for, for sure. the Jags down for the sure. line. A hundred percent. Uh, like you said, Minshew, his escapability to get out of the pocket, his ability to keep his eyes downfield and always be looking for that next target to sling it to. Uh, a lot of the time he does it with just outside the 20. Uh, Jaguars red zone offense hasn't been that great this year, but uh, he's definitely been able to get them down there. He's definitely been able to, uh, you know, be that catalyst in getting them to where they need to be to be able to win games. That It doesn't always happen that way as he's, but to be five and five as a starting quarterback on the Jaguars, especially with the train wreck that there's been all year with the run defense and you know lack of production from Fournette and the offensive line troubles, it's it's kind of impressive to be five and right. five in that situation. It so. just makes you wonder, uh, you know, if the season would be any different if they didn't shy away from Minshew. Uh, yeah, I don't really think there's any way to tell. Uh, I, I don't. I do think part of it was Nick Foles didn't play great, but also uh, at times the Jags' offense as a whole is just. Yeah looked lackluster yeah i don't think you win the colts game strictly because of the allowing 200 yards right. to two different running or 100 yards to two different running backs uh i don't think you win the chargers game because you no, know he played in that game down. he played in that game but um you know maybe the titans game could have been a bit different yeah uh, i don't think it would have been as widely margined but that's again the run defense um, right. but it's hard in the nfl people are always like well, why are they allowing the Titans to get so many yards on the ground? It's like, okay, the the, the your offense is going three and out. Yeah, it's hard for the defense to come right, right back out there. And some people are like, then why don't they make them go three and out? And I'm just like, you don't understand how football works, do you? No, no. That whenever people say that, I just get so angry. I'm like, that's not how football works. Um, it, it's not. It's easy for you to say, why don't they just make them go three and out? But it's so much more difficult than that. Exactly, yeah. especially when your rush defense is bad and you're going up against Derrick Henry, exactly. who's a guy that is known to own the Jaguars. Exactly. Uh, you know, if your offense hometown isn't, team, that's his hometown team. Your offense isn't producing, your defense is going to get tired. Next thing you know, Derrick Henry is going to rush for his annual ninety-yard <laughs> touchdown. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
history was made Monday night. Yeah. In New Orleans. Yes. I think we should get into that. Uh, Drew Brees, first off, not only did he break the touchdown record, he went 29 for 30 for 307 yards and uh, four touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's that got to be like the greatest outline ever. Absolutely. It, it was beautiful. One incompletion. Yeah. Throughout the entire game. Was it just like a throwaway or something? Yeah. yeah. It, it, so, and to not even just get the incompletion, but to absolutely dominate the Colts. He made them look like they don't belong in the same field. It, yeah. it was brutal. And he became the leading touchdown passer all time with 541. Right. And that's since being drafted in 2001. But that doesn't even take into account the increase in production we've seen him have since yeah. coming from San Diego in a near – career-ending injury in his shoulder to going to New York, New Orleans and do- dominating in that right. dome night in and night out. Uh, yeah, for sure. No, Brees has always been a guy who's just going to go out there and sling it, and rightfully so, he's gotten that record. Rightfully so, he's got the all-time passing yards record too. Uh, you know, uh, when you throw the ball that much, you're going to you're gonna set those records. And honestly, I'm happy for Drew Brees being a Brady – or me personally being a Tom Brady guy. I, you know, I, it, it's just it's just weird because, uh, you know, Brady and Breeze are about to start going back and forth. Yeah. It's so like if Brady goes out and throws three touchdowns against the Bills, you know, we're going to have the celebration only for Breeze to throw two following <laughs> Sunday and then celebrate it again. You're going to start seeing a lot of NFL app notifications. Brady breaks record. Breeze breaks record. Um, I kind of like where it's at right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it because it, it, it really is just two guys who are great. Uh, it's going to be a fight to who can really end with that record. And uh, the reason I'm kind of uh, talking about Brady's place in this now is to kind of give Brady that credit because Breeze is going to end up with the record. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just the state of where they're both at right now. Brady's yeah. pace has been slowing down. Breeze's p- pace has been kind of remaining. Increasing. Yeah. It's kind of either plateauing and going up, yeah. I mean, especially these past few games. It's like he threw five touchdowns last week for mm-hmm. this week. Uh, you know, he's just, it's, it's just always how it's been with him. Exactly. And I do think the dome has benefited, benefited him. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I do think there's been some factors, uh, you know, he hasn't made the playoffs every year in terms of Brady has, he's had some bad defenses. So some yeah. of those have been garbage yeah. time, but a record's a record, you know, uh, Peyton Manning held that record for a while. And by no means was that an easy record to yeah. go out and get. So it doesn't matter whether it was Brady that got there first or Drew Brees. Yeah. It's very impressive, and the fact that Drew Brees got that record while going twenty nine for thirty is uh, even more impressive, right? Yeah, and uh, it was on Monday Night Football, which is also where he set the passing yards record yep. last year. Monday, he he really likes getting records on that Monday Night Football <laughs> slot. Yes, yes, but so a lot of people want to. Uh, obviously, you mentioned how uh, the eight games a year in the dome has definitely benefited him, and I I can agree a hundred percent. Actually, on that. If, if if you think about it, nine uh, because the Falcons. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, when when people post stats, I guess they kind of uh, differentiate retractable roof and dome. But keep in mind, the Falcons were in the Georgia Dome for a while, yeah, so yeah. that's at least nine games a year. Yeah. Indoors. Yeah. But you still have to look at it and say, as an NFL player to have a 67.6% completion percentage over your career, nearly 77,000 yards and 541 touchdowns. You look at that and you go, wow, he's one of the best of all time. And right. Honestly, another thing is breeze. I mean, uh, it always gets talked about, uh, you know, what wide receivers each quarterback had, you know, like 
Peyton Manning had like Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne yeah. and Demarius Thomas. You know, Brady had Randy Moss and Gronk. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers had like Donald Driver and Greg Jennings. Uh, you know, Drew Brees has Michael Thomas, but you know, I, I kind of I try to think of other guys he's had and like the Colston. only name, yeah, Marcus Colston is like the only name that really comes to mind. So that's what makes it even ten times more impressive to me. He also had Jimmy Graham, who was in his prime in Seattle. But yeah. uh, in terms of targets, I, I mean, the, the being in the dome kind of makes up for that. I think. Yeah, but it's still impressive nonetheless that I think, you know, out of like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Joe Montana, uh, John Elway, I, I think like uh, Brees kind of had like the worst of the receiving court. Yeah. Uh, and that to me just is much more remarkable about it. Yeah. And one thing, the only thing that separates Brees from guys from the GOAT conversation to me is rings. Yeah. Because obviously Peyton is kind of, you, 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 Think about it, you're like, okay, Peyton could be, but at the same time, you're like, no, because he doesn't have the rings. Brady does have the rings. Okay, so uh, we're going to get into our final segment with the ESPN segment. Uh, that's all we can do for now, but it's going to be interesting. So, stick- uh, so just one little thing we're going to uh, do before we wrap up here is we're going to dive into some uh other headlines uh we're gonna start off uh the the lions are going to go ahead and and return matt patricia uh for 2020 uh so my thing with matt patricia is he he was a defensive coordinator for the patriots for a while and i thought he was very good up until uh the end of 2017 the patriots gave up 41 points in super bowl 52 so at that point i was kind of like all right get him out of here uh, I think he was put into a tough situation in Detroit. He's a good quarterback, uh, some good pieces, uh, but obviously the team hasn't been very good this year because Stafford's been hurt. Mm-hmm. I don't really think you could put that on Matt Patricia. So I like the fact that they're returning him, give him another chance with a healthy Matt Stafford and another offseason to improve the team. Uh, let's see what that team can do. Absolutely. I definitely think that his defensive mind has uh, helped the Lions a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, you can't win with David Blau and, uh, and 14 different running backs right. playing. Uh, you definitely need to find some pieces uh, throughout that organization. Um, you know, Martha Ford is willing to help them with that. <laughs> they, uh, you know, they, they find pride within their ownership in Detroit. Uh, a lot of people are, are, you know, here for that. And I think that the Lions are, while they might not be on the right track, they are on a good track to being able to get to, a, where, somewhere where they're comfortable with how they play. I think that uh, if Matthew Stafford doesn't go down, I think the season's a bit different. I think they might beat the Bears on a Thanksgiving day. Uh, I think that uh, there's just some things that go differently. I don't think they get you know destroyed like they did last week against the Bucs. Uh, no. it's, it's just, you know, a lot that goes into it, but I definitely think Matt Patricia being retained is very good for the Lions organization. Yeah. And, Give them another chance next year. Right, and I'm always kind of secretly rooting for the Lions because I really like Matt Stafford a lot. I think he gets a lot of unnecessary hate. I think his arm is as good as anyone in the NFL. I think he has a really good football IQ. Uh, You know, sometimes he'll make a bad decision, but he's not really going to go out there and lose you a game, especially as of late. I think a bit earlier in his career he kind of fell into that. Yeah. But I thought he's really improved, so – I, I am interested to see uh, what it'll look like for Detroit next year with a healthy Matt Stafford. I think, once again, it's good to give Patricia another year. I think if the Lions are bad again next year, then it might be time to move on. But right now I thought that was the right 
uh, decision. Uh, our next headline. Uh, Wait, it's only his third year in Detroit, right? It's his second. It's his second. No, I mean, like next year is going to be his third. Next year right? I, th- I think that's still good. Uh, you know, it, it, litmus test for uh, yeah. a coach. Normally in their third year is when they really need to be able to turn it on, similar to how the Jags this year have right. Doug Marone in his third year, and he's probably going to go. And so. I, rightfully so. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's time to clean office yeah. there in Jacksonville. 100%. Especially uh, after the. Um, everything that went down with the NFLPA report. Did you see about that? I did not. I so um, the Jaguars actually uh, have the, – there was an NFLPA grievance against the Jaguars for uh, making players go to uh, – they made a mandatory off-season rehabilitation thing at the team facility, and that's not allowed through the NFLPA. They can go to who they want, but the Jaguars made it mandatory, and when you didn't show up, they would fine you. That's not – that's illegal, and – the Jaguars were punished for it. Uh, and But the funny thing is, it's since 2017, 25% of all grievances have been filed against the Jaguars. Who's been the common source since 2017? Tom Coughlin, right. the head. All right, he's the one that went in. He tried to be hard-nosed. He's, yeah. he's, he was not been able to do well at that. Uh, he And it's made – it throughout that – the rest of that report – it cautioned players from signing with the Jaguars. It said, if you really, if you like take this into account when your free agency comes about. And so it's just kind of like, okay, so not only are we struggling with, as a team right now, but we're also going to start losing free agents because of an NFLPA report, because Tom Coughlin doesn't want to accept that there is a new way to do things in the NFL. And Jacksonville as it is already is not a place that's super attractive to free agents. Exactly. Uh, you know, free agents want to go uh, to the contenders, you know, they want to go play for the new England's and the green bays and the Dallas's, you know, the, yeah. uh, that's where those guys want to go. Heck, even the jets and giants just yeah. simply because of the lions, LA York. even. Right. Yeah. Especially uh, so, with that new stadium. So, coming so Jacksonville is a place that struggles a little bit in that, that, could continue to hurt them yeah. more. I actually didn't know about that. I find that to yeah. be very interesting. But yeah. no, like we said, it's time to clean office. It's time to start new. Absolutely. Uh, not only for the sake of the team where it's already at, but yeah. for the sake of building the team down the line. Absolutely. Uh, Another thing that they released is that they find a player or se- uh, a player got over $700,000 back from being fined. And Dante Fowler tweeted out his bank account getting seven hundred thousand dollars back. Really? Yeah. So he was like, he was like, they hated me down there, bro. That's yeah. I was just like, that is so bad. Like, yeah. that's because obviously in his first year in, in as a Jaguar, he tore his ACL in training yeah. camp. So they were forcing him to go back yeah. to get, you know, to get treatment, and they can't do that. And so they were fining him for it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so then we got the Pro Bowl. Yes, we do. Uh, not going to go too much into it, but just kind of looking through the headlines. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the thing that caught my eye was the Ravens have 12 Pro Bowls. Yes, they have a lot. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't list them all, uh, but just to name a few. Uh, obviously, you got Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, Mark Andrews. Big trust. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie Staley, Matthew Judon, Marley, Marlon Humphrey, Marks Peters, and Earl Thomas. Uh, studs. Just, just looking, Straight just studs. reading that, uh, I don't know why the Ravens can't win the Super Bowl. Those guys, I think, <laughs> I, I think honestly, it's theirs to lose. I agree, hundred uh, percent. They, they control their destiny. They're the best team in football right now. Yeah, they're gonna have home field advantage. Uh, you, you know, there are teams that can give them fights, but I don't know if anyone actually knows how to solve them. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there have been teams like the Bills and Niners that have been able to kind of play them close and 
uh, hold them a bit offensively, but I don't know if the Ravens are going to be seeing the Bills in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the uh, – depending on where the Niners end up, uh, whether they're the five or the one seed, if they'll be seeing the Ravens in the Super Bowl. Uh, I think if I had to go ahead and make a Super Bowl prediction right now, I'd probably go with the Ravens and Seahawks. I think That's who I was going to say. I, I, think, Ravens, those, I think those are just the two most – dominant teams mm-hmm. right now uh as a pats fan i'm still holding on to that fact uh, you know that similar, they turn it on similar to last year you know we kind of walk in uh you know we went to kansas city last year and came out with a win and which was personally I think, one of the greatest games i've ever watched yeah, that, was a good game. Uh, that, that was a great game in kansas city i hope we can maybe pull something like that in baltimore uh i think in just uh i, I think just in terms of how dynamic the ravens are it's going to be a bit it's going to be a lot harder uh, for the Pats to go in there yeah. and beat Baltimore than it was to go in and beat Kansas City. Yeah, and I uh, think the ultimate difference between the two is the Ravens' defense versus yeah. the Kansas City defense right. last year. The Kansas City defense wasn't a team that's going to be able to stop the Patriots' offense, even though the Patriots' offense wasn't the Patriots' offense we had seen before. Right. Uh, uh, the one thing that uh, makes me a little optimistic is I didn't think we played Horrible offensively. I'm talking about the Patriots being yeah. a Pats fan. I didn't think we played horrible offensively when we went into Baltimore in yeah. week nine. We yeah. ran that we ran that no huddle, which worked very well, and Muhammad Sanu had his one good game. Uh what killed us was the Edelman fumble. Uh that was Edelman's first loss fumble in three years that Marlon Humphrey ran back for a touchdown. And instead of going up twenty to seventeen, we were down twenty four thirteen. And the Patriots offense this year just isn't really built to play from behind like that. No. Uh so if we are going to go into Baltimore, you have to limit mistakes. Uh, you know, you can't fall down. And yeah. we've been falling down a bit recently in some of these games. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Cincinnati, we fell down. Uh, fortunately, that was only 10-7 opposed to like 10-0 or 13-0. So it wasn't terrible. But no, and it's what, Cincinnati. Yeah. I'll get, yeah. And you have their film, right. so it doesn't really matter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It is what it is. <laughs> I, I don't really know how to feel about it. Um, at halftime, made sure you knew everything. Yeah, deflate, so deflated the balls too. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, safety precautions. <laughs> uh, gave Edelman his PEDs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Injected Edelman at halftime. So. Uh, uh, yeah, no, nah, we got a, we got a bit off topic. Uh, once again, Ravens twelve Pro Bowlers, uh, and neither of us really know how they're going to lose. Yeah, uh, with this team. No. So that's that. Uh, lastly. Uh, just to touch a little bit on the NBA, the Lakers and Bucks are going at it tomorrow. It's going to be a huge 8 p.m. Game. on TNT. A little bit about the two. They were both 24 and 4. They both just had some win streaks snapped, however. Yep. The Lakers were riding a seven game, and the Bucks were riding an 18 game win streak. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bucks are averaging 121.2 points per game, where the Lakers are averaging 113.3. Yeah. Um, the Bucks are the best team in the East, but the Lakers are the best team in the West. The Lakers are averaging less points per game. However, their think, defensive rating is better than the Bucks. Right. And I think the Lakers are on top of a much harder conference. Yeah. Uh, not to say the East has been bad this year. One thing that's actually interesting to me is currently the West has more teams in the playoffs as it is right now with losing records compared to the East. You have two, I believe it's the Suns and the Kings. Uh, I can't think off the top of my head who it is yeah. in the east it is uh the magic uh 12 and 15 yeah. and just to confirm it is it's actually the kings and the thunder okay. in the west uh so that that's shocking to me but overall i would still take i would still firmly say the west is a better conference 
both teams are obviously very dynamic and oh, very yeah. good. Uh, the Bucks ride Giannis. Mm-hmm. They also have uh, Eric Bledsoe and Chris, Chris Middleton. Middleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, a good team. Lakers, obviously, the big duo of LeBron and AD, scary. Uh, I actually got a chance to really sit down and watch the Lakers the other night. I haven't really got a chance to sit down and watch a basketball game this year. I watched the Lakers play the Heat. Yeah, that uh, was a good game. That was a crazy game. Um, and, uh, you know, not to get too off topic from this game, but I was very impressed with Miami Heat as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Eric Spolster has got his team in a good spot. Bam out of bio. Uh, and this is definitely Eric Spolster's best team not counting any of the LeBron yeah, Wade and Bosch yeah. eras because this is a team he's just solely built himself and he's put together pieces that are all working well with each other so I'm very I'm, I'm very impressed with the heat uh you know yeah. and if you're a heat fan I don't really think you should be disappointed in that loss to the Lakers I don't think anyone is I don't like all the heat fans I've talked like talked to they're like we're, we just hung with the best yeah. in the NBA no you're happy about that uh LeBron's homecoming to Miami that's always fun. Uh, they booed him every time he got the ball. I was like, he gave y'all two championships. I, what I are y'all doing? I can't remember who uh, he passed it to. I, I think the score was 197 at this point. LeBron, We were talking about LeBron's passing last week. Yeah. He had this beautiful no-look pass. He was facing yeah. uh, the top of the three-point arc, and he passed it off to the, the right wing. And yeah. whoever he passed it to drained the three. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just – Stuff like that that you got to defend when you're playing LeBron. Obviously, you got 80 size. Oh, yeah. uh, but once again, I, I think this game is going to come down uh, to the depth. Uh, now, I don't know how much that's going to hurt the Lakers, considering it's just a one-game matchup compared mm-hmm. to a seven-game series. Yeah. But um, if the Bucks want to win this game, uh, it's really got to be taking advantage when LeBron and AD aren't on the court. Yeah. Same goes for the Lakers. Uh and that's going to be how does the Lakers' depth match up with the Bucks' depth when Giannis isn't on the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, once again, until I really uh, see something I'm impressed with, I'm I'm not I'm still not crazy about the Lakers' depth. Uh, but to me, for this game, I'm going to go with the more experienced guys. I, I think LeBron and AD are going to pull this one out. I'm taking LeBron and AD as well. They're coming off a rough loss last night to the Pacers. They haven't run out really. Uh, they, LeBron and AD came out earlier this year and said that they had made a pact that they are not going to lose two games in a row. Right. And I think that determination from two of the best players in the game is going to be able to be the difference. And um, I see LeBron playing a good 46 minutes, AD playing 40. I don't see right. a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of resting or anything like that. Right. And AD didn't even play the other night. He, uh, was sitting out because of the injury in game in, in games like this, especially it, when they're going to play your depth. Isn't great. Yeah. You know, you, this, these are the games where you're going to uh, get the most out of LeBron and AD and exactly. then you're going to let them rest uh, in some of those other games against some of yeah. those bottom feeders. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if you're the Lakers, you want the one seed in the West. You yeah. Know, yeah. You want that home court advantage. Uh, and the way you're going to get that is really pounding LeBron and AD in those big games. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can rest your guys in some of those smaller games that you know you're going to win. Absolutely. Uh, because the West, as it is, is just such a tough conference. And if uh, the Lakers are having to go on the road for a lot of game one and twos, uh, you know, their, their depth does run them the risk of falling behind in some of those series. So uh, I, I do think this is a big game for the Lakers. And games like this are ones the Lakers have to win. Yeah. Uh, if they want to get LeBron that fourth championship. Yeah. Yes, they do.
All right. Well, it was a good time, but uh, we have to wrap it up. Thanks for listening to another edition of Sunshine State Takes. A uh, longer show this time. Yeah, just uh, a little thanks, bit. Thanks for our move to Anchor. We're able to go a bit longer now. Yes, we are. Uh, we're very happy about that. Uh, to recap, we had some difficulties. Uh, we were struggling with getting our show up on Spotify, so hopefully this is going to be what takes us to the next step. Absolutely. So we're, we're excited for what's uh, yet to come. A little, little block in the road, but we're dedicated to making Sunshine State. Absolutely. Sunshine State takes the best it can be, so we're willing to work around that. For sure. Join us next week. as we. Uh, it's going to be on Monday instead of Wednesday as we preview the Vikings-Packers matchup yeah. that will decide that NFC North. Yeah, no, we're, we're going to dedicate our whole show uh, to a Monday night preview, uh, kind of try and change up the format a little bit. Uh, we're excited for it. It's going to be a good game, and uh, we'll see you guys then. Yep. See ya.